Welcome to Firing Pin Leadership, your podcast about leadership development with an emphasis on growth and influence. While each episode centers on public service, discussions cover what works and what doesn't to guide and support your leadership acumen. I'm your host, BJ King. Hey everyone, in this episode, I will be visiting with Captain Jason Strong with the police department. Also, for this intro, I'm going to let him explain his career because it's pretty important to get the idea of how it ties in with how he was able to develop. He did a fantastic job in sharing his work history, and therefore, I think it sounds better from him. A little warning, a few minutes into it, sound gets a little rough, but it does work itself through. Captain Jason Strong. I started the uh, police department. Actually, I started the academy back in 2004. Okay. Went through the Missouri Sheriff's Academy. Was subsequently hired with the police department in uh, 2005. So I got started uh, October 17th, in fact. And uh, I've been here ever since. I've done quite a few things throughout the department. Um, it started out, obviously, like most people do, evening shift patrol. And, uh, you know, from there, I took an interest in FTO, training some of the new officers, um, some other collateral duties, um, the special response team, the hazardous materials team, evidence technician. Um, so, you know, I, I did quite a bit while I was in patrol. And uh, when, you know, like many, you get, you get a little bit uh, tired of doing the same monotonous thing. And you said, uh, you say to yourself, hey, I wanna, I wanna maybe try to go to detectives or something like that. So I did. And when I, when I went to detectives, you didn't get a choice of what assignment you got. Yeah. And uh, so I went to our special victims unit, which was the family crimes unit, which at the time, uh, to be frank with you, I wasn't real excited about. Um, it wasn't a real desirable, um, assignment, but I knew that if I could survive it, and sometimes in life that's all you can do is just survive, um, that I would gain a lot of experience and a, a lot of technical skills, um, which I did. And I worked a lot of cases, and I learned a lot of investigative techniques while I was down there. Mm -hmm. I went through crime scene school and uh, was a crime scene investigator, forensic interviewing school, CART training, child abduction response right. team training. Um, just a lot of different trainings. Um, it, it was like a roller coaster. It, it was all pretty fast and a lot of different uh, types of, of conferences and, and stuff like that. Breaking into the special victims routine with all the NGOs and, and getting to meet everybody, um, that was a baptism by fire. And it was, it was new to me. I was used to being a street cop. And mm -hmm. so street cops think a little bit different mm -hmm. than, than the investigators. And, uh, but it was it's probably one of the most meaningful things I've done in my career. And uh, it was, with bar none, it was the most difficult assignment that I've ever done. I can't tell you that it doesn't feel good that I've moved, moved on from there, but I, I tell you um, that it is such a meaningful assignment that I would go back and do it without a doubt. It's, it's uh, when you're helping kids, when you're helping special victims, when you're helping indigent people that can't speak for themselves and don't have a voice for themselves, it's awesome. So I promoted out of that unit. Um, mm -hmm. After okay. a couple of years, I promoted, uh, I, you know, some, some of it's just timing. Right. And uh, I knew that there was a, a possibility for me to become a, a sergeant at the police department. So back in 2015, I think, is when I decided to promote to patrol sergeant. And uh, I, I went back out and I was, you know, I, I was ready to come back out mm -hmm. because that's why you get into law enforcement is to do mm -hmm. patrol work. And so I went back out and uh, I had a great time. I had, I could, didn't spend so long in the detective division that I was totally unrelatable to, to the, uh, the generation of patrolmen that were out. Now things have significantly changed mm -hmm. um, because we've had such turnover yes. due to uh, certain political yep. events in the, in oh, the yeah. country. But yeah, I had a good time and I spent just about one year and guess what? The, the family crimes unit, the special victims unit I was, I was working for had just saw a promotion of their supervisor to captain. Knowing the entire time they probably would be a lot of qualified people for that position, I, I put back in for it, thinking, you're a crazy worker, or you're just crazy enough to supervise it. It's, like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost um, like riding lightning. And um, so I went back in and I supervised that unit for five or six years. And, uh, you know, we, 
we made a lot of strides. We did, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not a person that uh, accepts the status quo very well. I like to change, I like to improve, I like to make things better. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'd like to think that we did that. Now, all the time knowing that with leadership, you know that you're gonna have failures. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you learn from your failures, and uh, you know, that's the most important thing. You mm -hmm. know, you, got, you gotta readjust, it takes some self-assessment. Um, so we did, and we during that time, while I'm down there, they also gave me the electronic crimes unit to supervise. Which at the time, I, you know, I was somewhat overwhelmed because I'm, I'm supervising at the time five detectives that are specialized in, in sexual assaults mm -hmm. against adults, children, domestic violence, violations of order protections. Um, we, you've got a lot of community engagement with non for profits, mm -hmm. and uh, so I was the guy that was always constantly at meetings, um, mm -hmm. setting on certain task force, multidisciplinary teams, and uh, but I knew how critical. Um, the the electronic crimes unit was to my unit mm -hmm. and i knew that the captain had just had just got uh, transferred out mm -hmm. and uh, we got a new captain and he wasn't interested in it and i just it was it, it was too integral or you know it was, it was too important for me um, not to take over and i'd already had aspirations of wanting to do icac investigations mm -hmm. we had been an affiliate years ago um, leadership at the time said that you know that's not something we're really interested in we you know we're barely getting by and uh, but you know being from a family crimes background I said you know we don't get a chance to do very many uh, proactive investigations it's all reactionary work mm -hmm. that comes through the door yep. and so we did it and it was tough and it was uh, you know it's tough breaking into that market there's a lot of big personalities Black County's got a, a, a great team. They do a lot of work, but they represent 26 counties, yep. and I just wanted to effectively represent our city. And I know that um, there's a lot more cyber crimes that involve, uh, you know, children, and I, I wanted to do something about it. So we did, and uh, I give a lot of the credit to Jeremy Peters as a detective that was in, in the electronic crimes unit. Mm -hmm. um, we had a vision, and uh, he worked tirelessly to make sure that, that it worked and that we, we arrested a, a lot of sex offenders, mm -hmm. a lot of people that w would have otherwise perpetrated on children, and we had a chance to be proactive and we took it. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, that's where I stayed six years. I supervised that unit, mm -hmm. um, did a lot of human trafficking work with the Attorney General's Office of the Chief, introduced me. I'd really, if you would have asked me six years ago, you know, talk to me about human trafficking, I would have said human trafficking what? Yeah. You know, it's just... Um, yeah, you, you hear the textbook things about labor trafficking and sex mm -hmm. trafficking, but, you know, you're under the assumption that stuff doesn't happen here. But, you know, I started going to these meetings, started talking to survivors, and it dawns on me, like, man, this this stuff is real. This mm -hmm. really happens here. And uh, who who's our most vulnerable population? Well, it's, it's children, mm -hmm. and it's runaway, throwaway children that – you know, most officers, um, they deal with habitual runaways and they're just nuisance problems and they get tired of taking about, um, you know, 70, 70 reports in three months mm -hmm. about them running away. Mm -hmm. But really, um, those are the kids that we need to be contacting. Those are the kids that we needed to, to make, a, you know, an extra effort. And so we started doing, we started doing operations mm -hmm. when, when we, we were in the family crimes unit. Um, human trafficking operations. We hadn't done vice operations like that, mm -hmm. to my knowledge. Right. If we did, it was long, long before I, that I got to the St. Joseph Police Department. And, uh, but you know, it was new, and it wasn't hard to get buy-in from people because they wanted to make a difference too. So the detectives wanted to make a difference. The chief was on board. He introduced me to all these people, and uh, he got me a seat at the table with the Attorney General's Task Force. And uh, man, we we just started putting in work. We did like four and five operations we were arresting um you know eight nine seven eight nine guys on on john stings mm -hmm. we were going out we were getting in contact and giving getting services to seven eight nine gals on on these you know quote unquote prostitution mm -hmm. stings but but really the the whole goal behind all of that was to get them into services because we know that trafficking victims will, will probably come into services seven times maybe before they they mm -hmm. decide to make a change mm -hmm. and uh that's, you know, there's a lot of uh, variables and, and uh, you know, a lot of research into why that is. Um, you know, it's just a lot of people think that they're in control of their own situation. But, yeah, so six years doing that stuff. Yeah. Um, there was a, a promotion coming up 
for Captain Mike Wilson retired. He was the commander of the police department. And I said, uh, you know, I really want to make change. And how do you do that? You go to the next rung on the ladder. And uh, so I put in for it, and I got it. And so this is where I've been since November. I've been in patrol. Um, still running our – I didn't mention this. I ran our youth alcohol program for the last several years when I was in the detective division, and I, I carried that over with me. Um, Larry Stobbs left, and I decided that uh, we didn't really have anybody – position to, to take this over and it's a big responsibility because we get about fifty sixty thousand dollars in no dot money for youth alcohol stuff and then we also recently we've, we've got about thirty thousand dollars in youth alliance to go up and enforce in, in the various counties in northwest missouri so more responsibility but you know just uh each step getting getting closer to a position to really affect change here for the police department that's where i've been so what's your perspective on leadership and your idea of the route and effectiveness and consequences of leadership in law enforcement? Well, um, you got to know that the market has changed. And uh, I often talk to my guys about leadership because I think that we, we jump to a lot of assumptions and conclusions about leadership and that leadership is, is directly re- related to rank, and it's not. You've met people with leadership capabilities that ha- hold no rank, you know, they're, they're slick sleeves. and. You know, leadership is your ability to influence somebody, and it's your ability to get things done. And uh, while I'm proud of the rank that, that I've achieved, um, you know, at the department, I'm proud of, of my leadership style. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not always right. And, and I think that leaders um, always kind of get, put themselves into a corner sometimes about how they, you know, that they can't be wrong. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, real leadership needs to do a 360 assessment and say, hey, what am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? And, and what direction do I need to go into? Leadership today in law enforcement in 2022 needs to realize that we are supervising kids that are inherently more educated. And so the, for me to just tell somebody to go out and do something without really giving them the foundation and, and explanation why, it's a problem these days. Was that a problem? Was that a problem when we started 17 years ago, BJ? No, somebody told us to go do something, and we did it. Yeah. You know, it was more of an uh, you know, authoritarian mm-hmm. type of leadership. Um, and you know, I think that leaders in law enforcement today need to pivot, and they need to. And I'm not saying that you have to sacrifice ethics or, or, or anything else other than just to realize you're, you're leading a different generation, and they're going to respond different, and they're inherently more educated. Um, and so... I've found a great deal of success of just sitting down um, and, and talking with these people. And, you know, they can tell real leaders who have technical expertise that were promoted up through the ranks mm-hmm. that uh, can provide them um, substance when, the, when you get into these conversations and uh, not just, you know, rely on the authority of your rank to say, this is why I did this. That's what I've noticed is that the generation that's coming up now stepping up to put on the badge they're the ones that are quick to say basically why like a toddler why 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 am i doing this well if you look further into it they're looking for the purpose of what they're fulfilling that yeah they can do that they're willing to but if you want them to buy into it you explain to them what the benefit is of why that's important for their input and and service provides that impact that you're looking for yeah i you know i i agree with that and i'll tell you that we should be excited that, that this new generation is really invested in, in um, into education. I mean, it makes better police officers. Um, you know, the more training that we get and, uh, you know, the more understanding they have about things that are going on in the world, and that's what happens when you go to college. You get, you get you know, edification about some of these issues that are going on, and you get a little substance. And so... Um, I like it, uh, and these guys won't and gals won't stop challenging you mm-hmm. sometimes, and it's good because it, it's, it creates this environment where we're constantly debating things. And, you know, I, I tell my guys routinely, sometimes I'm going to make a command decision, and uh, I'm going to do what I think from a liability standpoint mm-hmm. and within a policy standpoint that is right for the department. And it's not that we can't go back and revisit that decision, but ultimately, at the end of the shift, sometimes you have to make a decision. And uh, as long as you remain respectful with me, mm-hmm. we'll talk about it. I'm, it's, I'm perfectly fine being wrong. Absolutely. Not, not 
one person at this department knows everything, and there's a lot of technical experts in various positions throughout this department, and we have to learn to respect those people, and we have to learn that, you know, you stay in your lane, you, you, you know. Did I have technical expertise in uh, family crime? Sure. Did I have technical expertise in working fatality accidents? No. No. So, you know, and another, a leader knows how to resource, and a leader knows how to uh, bring all these specialties together and uh, make, make big things happen and be dynamic. The way I put it is that I do what I can to stay in my lane, but I'm aware of the whole road, but it's up to those that are in charge of what I do to give me an idea of how wide my lane is. Right. And so leadership today, what they have to know, and I see this, and I think this is um, probably a, a mistake where a lot of people fumble, fumble the, the football, is uh, we don't empower the people below us to make decisions and have responsibility, and uh, we have to. That's, that's how we Why is that? You know, I, th I think that uh, we get, as leaders, this mentality that we have to be in charge of everything. And that we have to make all the decisions, and really, that that's not teaching anybody anything. That's not empowering somebody. And uh, you know, so oftentimes, I find myself empowering my guys to, to to go out and make decisions, be wrong, because sometimes they are. Um, but you know, d did you learn something from it? You know, there's not there's going to be a handful of events in a career that are game enders mm -hmm. that you make such a bad decision that uh, we can't walk it back. But right. everything else is a teachable moment. And uh, I think that, you know, I've always had kind of like a humanistic kind of theory why type of leadership. Okay. And uh, I, I let my guys, I, I trust in the abilities and uh, the, the competence of the people that work for me. And not, not everybody, obviously. Yeah. You know, everybody works with somebody that you, you probably don't have a lot of uh, confidence in. But I can tell you, that the people that I was um, allowed to, to supervise could have supervised me. Mm -hmm. I mean, they are really competent individuals that know what they're doing. Some of them had more time in different various units. Um, I just chose a different path, and, and you know, I, I ended up promoting. And uh, but you know, never stop learning. Some of these people that are working for you can teach you something, and that's what you got to understand. So don't okay. think that you got to have all the answers. Keeping in mind the idea of keep learning. What's your greatest leadership lesson that you've learned that, that has brought you to that aha moment for guiding uh, those under your that's, shift, uh, under your call? That's tough. That's a tough question. That's a good one. So, you know, we talk about tough moments in leadership. I've had tough moments as a police officer, mm -hmm. not always in a leadership capacity, things that will bring you to your knees. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been very fortunate um, in most of my leadership assignments. Things have went pretty well, but I can tell you that they're not always going to go well and uh, you know things are going to happen um, but I think that one of my greatest lessons so far is being able to pivot and, and knowing that things are dynamic and things are changing and the uh, the new recruits that that we have coming in this police department we can't lead them like we did what 15 years ago it's not going to happen and it, if you if you're like that if you're a dinosaur is what I like to call you in your leadership style and you're you know authoritarian and and what we're going to be the ones that lose the city. The, the public is going to be the one that, that loses this deal. And uh, so I think that that's a, that's a lesson for a lot of leaders to learn. I understand. I was brought up um, in that type of environment. And when somebody gets ranked, they just think inherently people should listen to me. They're going to do what I tell you to do. Um, but, BJ, I can tell you, being a uh, supervisor for seven, eight years now, you shouldn't have to tell people to do stuff. You should ask people to do stuff, and they should be willing to do it for you. And uh, that's that's probably you know just being able to pivot right now. We're we're gonna we're we're embarking on a new journey in law enforcement. The quicker that we realize it, accept it, and try to learn and move on from it, the better off we'll be. What is the greatest experience of that you have observed that are the fruits of your labor of leading someone? What what is something where there was a positive consequence went? That person's got it. This is the, the end result that shooting for, and it expanded better than what I imagined. Do you have an example of that? Yeah, I do. It's, uh, it's, it's your subordinate development. It's, uh, it's very fulfilling. Um, I've had guys that thought their, their career was ended with this department. And they've, you know, I won't name any names um, because they'll probably know exactly who it is. But 
um, I told him, I said, when I, when I came into patrol, I said, what do you, where do you want to be? What, what's your career path? You know, because if we don't have goals, this is pointless. You know, um, you can't get any better unless I identify where you want to be, and it'll be my job to get you there. And uh, this guy had a, a pretty rough last couple of years. He said he wanted to be in a specialized unit. He said it's never going to happen. Uh, command staff doesn't like me. And, uh, you know, he had a rough go. And he'd been, he'd been in some, some uh, issues with command staff. Mm -hmm. um, but I can tell you, by the time I left patrol, he was in a specialized unit that he wanted to be in. And uh, seeing career development like that, seeing uh, the development of detectives getting – when, when I was in the detective unit and I had the ability to get out and work with the detectives and teach them interview and interrogation techniques mm -hmm. and, and work side by side with them on these investigations that they hadn't done before, um, that is, that's fulfilling. And watching them take these investigations on by themselves, get people charged, rescue kids out of bad situations, mm -hmm. um, help sexual assault survivors, it's rewarding. It's very rewarding. And I see, I see the struggles on their face that... Um, that, that I had as an officer, you know. Um, unfortunately for the city, we have a lot of cases. You're mm -hmm. aware of it. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. I've worked around the city for a long time, and so you can't help every single person. And it, that's a struggle, and it burns you out because you're just stuck in this situation that you can't, you don't have any control over. And I just, you know, I just remember telling my guys on a daily basis, you prioritize and you do the best that you can do, and you help as many people as you can along the way. That's all you can do. We've restructured a couple things, though. We did, you know, I, I tell you, my my personality is I like to try to fix things. Mm -hmm. You know, all along the, the way, we were assessing the process of what we, you know, what we did in the detective division or what we did in patrol, and, you know, we didn't have electronic warrants. We got, and this, I put a lot of credit on the people that I work with. I give them the ability to make decisions and to help me and to be the person that solves the problem. Jeremy, go back to Jeremy Peters. We don't have electronic warrant. Jeremy Peters, pioneers in electronic warrant. And some people might not think that that's very significant, but, you know, when you're spending four or five hours round trip on a warrant, it is. It's, it's all goes to your effectiveness. And, uh, you know, we don't want to do forensic interviews anymore. We don't want to be interviewing kids on our own cases. Um, so and this is something that got done under the supervisors before, but, we, you know, we, we took those concerns to our supervisor and said, you know, we think that the, the, the Child Advocacy Center should hire hire its own uh, interviewer mm -hmm. so we can work more cases, um, not have any questions pertaining to why we're interviewing kids on our own cases because, you know, they're, they're supposed to be non-leading, non-suggestive mm -hmm. interviews. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just always assessing where we're at, and it's just, you know, it's through communication with everybody. My door's always open, my employees. Sometimes that's not as easy as, you know, because we're busy. So having an open door policy sometimes, it's hard. And at the same time, it's a bunch of type A personalities. It is. It is. Um, and, uh, you know, there's been situations where I'm like, we're not going to go that way. I, I appreciate what your input on this. And, and, you know, that's that's the other side of leadership. Sometimes you're, you're going you're gonna to have some dissatisfied customers. Not everybody that I've supervised is probably my biggest fan. Um, but, you know. I can tell you it's it's not from a lack of respect or, you know, treating somebody with decency. It's just a difference in ideas, and some people just really have a problem if you've got a difference in ideas. Law enforcement used to be so good. And I know that, we're you know, we've all had our problems. It's, uh, it's going to be good again. I guarantee it. What do you attribute to that? What, what's the, what's the, for the ebb and flow, what's, what's the trigger to go in that direction? What do you see? I think it's it's dedication. It's uh, people that that don't get tired, that honestly won't quit. I mean, um, if I wanted to quit this career, I could have quit a long time ago. At you know, you, you sit back and you reflect. It could have been a lot easier if you if you would just quit. And uh, but honestly, there's the underlying sense of duty to our community. Mm -hmm. And uh, I talk to my wife about it all the time. I, I tell her, I said, sometimes I I just think I'm too stupid to do anything else, Stephanie, <laughs> because I won't quit. You know, and I you keep obtaining more responsibility, more rank, um, trying to trying to fix things, and uh, all the time knowing that that's more liability that you're taking on each step of the way. But you know, I told I, I tell my wife and I tell my family, if it wasn't for me, who would do it? I mean, we're really thin now, DJ. You 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 guys are not immune from it. Um, you've been I see you've been fighting back though, and we are too. 
And, uh, you know, we, we try to go out and we try to uh, preach and recruit to, to everybody that will listen that this is, a, uh, this is an honorable profession, and it, it always has been, and it's been villainized, and it's, uh, it's wrong. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a great gig, and you've got this, uh, you've got a bunch of good police officers, good cops, good sheriff's deputies that just have this sense of community that, that say, hey, I want better for St. Joe. I want better for Buchanan County. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it sounds cheesy. It sounds corny, but I mean, I don't know what else brings me to work every day. I want a better place for my kids to grow up in. You know, I can tell you when I got here at 21, what brought you to law enforcement? Oh, I want to drive fast. I want to chase bad guys. Yeah. I want to shoot guns. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you, the longer you spend here, the more time you realize that there's a different purpose mm-hmm. and uh, you grow in your career. And, mm-hmm. you know, you try to professionalize and you try to uh, do things that are really going to make a difference. And uh, I think that we've seen we've seen some lows and I'm hoping and I'm, I'm a not a career optimist, but I, I know good good times are coming, man. So we need to uh, just it's, it's a time to fight and reflect on, you know, what we can do better, because like we said, we're not perfect either. We've done some things that we probably shouldn't have done. But, you know, that's human nature is to make mistakes well yeah and that's growth and trying to set that standard for the community with the authority and responsibility we have right. uh, for our role but my, and you know my sense of community has always been there you know mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if it was church it was family i grew up we went to uh every every uh cousin's birthday party i mean i just that's the way we grew up and you know um, throughout my career um, my sense of community is it's just it's increased because of all the non for profits that I work with, mm-hmm. all the people that I see their their lives and how things are affected in, in St. Joe. And uh, you know, if you got the ability to affect change you should do it. That's it. It's so that simple. What you're telling me is that due to your exposure for inter- interacting with the groups that you have, that you have a better understanding of the web network or how the community intertwines and works and supports itself. That's it. Well said, man. Yeah, I mean, you've got a way of, of cutting right through it. And that's, that's what it is. I mean, you, you grow. You're, you know, did I have those dealings with, with those not those NGOs when I first got on, on the department? Did I have a real command and understanding of their role and responsibility? And I didn't, and that's a lot of it. So when you get frustrated police officers talking about, well, the shelter won't let me do this, and, and why are they, they, they doing this for homeless people? It's, it's really sometimes it's just a lack of understanding. And uh, everybody's got their own role. And, uh, you know, sometimes if we spent 10 or 15 minutes trying to understand other people's struggles, and specifically the different NGOs, we'd have a totally different outlook. And, and you know, I really pride myself on the, the relationships because being able leadership is persuasion, right? Mm-hmm. It's the ability to, to communicate with people and get things done. And, you know, we can't do that if we take all our toys and, and leave a sandbox. And I know police officers like that. And, you know, um, I haven't always got my way, but, you know, I'm persistent and I won't quit. And, you know, if, if I see something worth fighting for or worth implementing that I think is really going to make a difference, um, you know, you just find a new approach. So you say you fight and you won't quit. Why do you not quit? What, what's I can't, you know what I, I can't I can't explain it I have no idea uh, I know that quitting's not in my nature it's you know but why why won't I quit this job I don't know I, I really don't I talk about it with my wife I tell you like I said earlier I th- sometimes I think I'm too stupid to quit and you know I just think that s- some people maybe that's just the way they are maybe that's just their personality but I I seriously want better for for ev- all of us right now because we've seen good we've seen good in law enforcement. And, uh, you know, I just spent the last couple of years reflecting on how we've been demonized and villainized and just knowing that how many, you know, I don't think people realize that there are real human beings that every day sacrifice and put this badge on and go out and would die for a stranger. And when you see all this on TV and your kids, now I've got kids, six, nine years old, and they see this on TV. And, you know, I want to show them the good. You know, how many... Have we, have we chased people down? Have we had to get in fights? Yeah, but, you know, all that stuff we got into law enforcement. Sure. You know, along the road, though, how many kids did we rescue out of bad situations? Abuse that would make would bring you to your knees and make grown men cry. I've helped a lot of kids like that. And so there's a, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's a worthy cause right now. You tell me that 
you don't know what the issue is for not being able to quit. How do you tell an employee who's on the verge, not say on the verge, but on the cusp of thinking that, I don't know, maybe I'm thinking I'm done with law enforcement kind of thought mentality and you catch wind of this. How do you explain to them it, that it's important to hold the line? Because you say, I can't explain why I'm here, right. but I need you to understand why I think it's important for you to be here. How do you relate that to them? Yeah, you know, I do. And uh, <laughs> they probably get tired of hearing it because, you know, I tell them, give us six more months. This, this, this whole situation could look so different in six more months. And, you know, don't walk out now. You know, don't walk out on your community. Don't walk out on all your investments. You know, because it's easy right now. It's easy to leave. And it's easy to go to other other places right now because it's an ultra-competitive market for law enforcement. I think you're like, a, we're the new computer programmers um, because they just keep increasing the salary because nobody wants to do it, and I wonder why. Well, and not only that, but if you can be a cop, there's a chance you could do any job. I right. mean, you, you're then marketable. Well, and you know that. Now, mm-hmm. and you know, the need is so great right now. You sit around and you look at our off-duty list. There's more $40 an hour overtime. People are begging for police officers. That's your community. They're begging. Mm-hmm. And if you remember remember back not too long ago, 70% of the vote passed a public safety yep. tax for Buchanan County. Yep. Those are the people that matter. Mm-hmm. So 70% of this county said, I want you to have this. We respect mm-hmm. you. So, you know, I think that a lot of officers get caught up in, in looking at the national narrative and saying, that's what people think about us. But that's not true because that's not our community. Mm-hmm. I, I know that people in this community respect and want law enforcement here. And uh, we, obviously we all know that there's, there's jerks that are going to say all kinds of nasty stuff and right. that dislike law enforcement for their various reasons. Right. Um, but, yeah, I always tell them to stop and assess and just wait. Give me six, give me six more months. Things might look a little different. You might get another pay raise. You might really help somebody. You might have something in your career that just, well, that's why I'm here. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a lot of cops, and, and I can tell you I was one of them. I grew up, I wanted to be a cop mm-hmm. since I was a kid, but BJ, my dad, was a cop yeah. my entire life. Right. And so what did I see my dad doing? Well, you know, he's, he's, a, mm-hmm. he's a commander of a drug unit. Mm-hmm. They got to go out and shoot MP5s and catch mm-hmm. bad guys and get a bunch of drugs off the street and just all the good things that, you know, we want, want police officers doing. And so it was easy for me because I knew what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Now, what did my road look like? Well, I can tell you when I graduated high school, I was 320 pounds. So when, when I decided to be a police officer, I said, this is going to be this is going to be a commitment. This is going to be a life changer. This is what I want to do. I want to do this for the rest of my life. That's before I even started. So I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to lose weight. So I lost 120 pounds leading up to the academy and during the academy. And by the time I got out of the academy and I started started here as a police officer in October of 2005, I weighed uh, 190 out of 320. So That's so, impressive. Yeah. yeah. I lost a bunch. I lost a bunch. And, you know, I, I kept it off now, unfortunately. Ten years or so ago, I, I caught type one diabetes. It was late, but I, uh, you know, I do well with it. And I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I, I take care of myself. I know I've got a nurse wife. So mm-hmm. How important it is to take care of yourself. So, you know, I haven't stopped. I work out three or four times a week. I run four mm-hmm. or five miles. But you know, it is sound body, sound mind. You know, you got to be ready every day. You get you get ready to go out on these streets. You know, you got to be physically prepared and mentally prepared. How do you tell your kids? what you're up against out there. How do you relate? Because they see that that TV. They can't help but hear the stories of your peers and all that and and passing and and events and all. But how do you relate to the kids that you care most about that you've got this? How do you lead that in? You know, it's easier. My kids are smaller. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've got twins that are six and a nine-year-old. And, you know, every time they see Daddy in uniform, they're – Proud, and they see they see their friends, and their friends see, you and they're excited, and they want to come talk to you and stuff. And that's that's something that I love to see because you know we'll go, how many times do you go out in uniform and you're at high V and some parent walks up and says, "Hey, would you take Johnny to to juvenile detention?" I tell him no. I said we don't arrest kids, and you know just putting this stigma on law enforcement, and it's it's hard to walk some of that back, and you know. Um, so I've been lucky. Um, I, I don't have to really ex- get into depth and explain that, but don't yeah. think that your kids don't see that yeah. because my kids have asked me some questions before, mm-hmm. but I think they inherently see the good that we do. And, and uh, you know, I talk to them about some of my assignments and, mm-hmm. and uh, 
you know, just how fortunate they are. I always reinforce how fortunate they are because we've seen the dark side of things. Mm -hmm. I've seen kids that, uh, honestly, I thought I could adopt. Mm -hmm. And yep. uh, just they were abused so badly. And There's know, still a ray of shine through all that darkness. They're right. still genuine right. and, and innocent and incredible. Right. I mean, just I've had some amazing stories with child abuse. And, you know, it takes – and I tell my wife this, you know, it takes – one person that doesn't even have to be related to care about that kid. And I know for specifically one kid that, that we saved out of a terrible abuse. I mean, just the worst abuse you could ever imagine. Um, it, it was Grandpa's girlfriend that saved him. And uh, just because she cared and she wanted to do something. And, uh, you know, that's that's what matters for sure. So that was the best, you know, the best and hardest assignment at the same time I've ever had. So that was the most challenging was that, uh, from what I'm gathering, was that also the trying on your heart more than what you would expect or oh, would hope for? I bet you that, and I bet that assignment aged me prematurely 20 years, man. Okay. Yeah, just when all my gray hair started to pop out, dude, Ray. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> yeah, for sure, I talk about it with my wife, too. I'm like, yeah, I mean, that, that for sure took 15, 20 years off my life. It's like riding lightning mm -hmm. is, is essentially what it is because, you know, you're in charge – at that point, what was I in charge of? I was in charge of the electronic crimes unit, mm -hmm. every child abduction that happened within the city, mm -hmm. um, and then all the physical and sexual abuse against kids and domestic violence and sexual assault against adults. It's a huge responsibility. I knew it was going in, but uh, I knew that if I could just survive it and uh, try to improve things, that uh, you know I'd be better for it. I'd have a lot more technical expertise, and maybe one day I can apply that and make some serious change. How do you support other, the younger the younger cops? How do you support them in not giving up? What What is it that you tell them? Well, you know, <clears throat> it's hard because sometimes we really don't have the incentives that I think that we should have to retain these cops. And so I tell them, though, routinely I tell them this, that, you know, when I got into this job, it wasn't about money and it's still not about money because I could do a lot of different things and I could make a lot of money. <laughs> And so you've lost your incentive because people have villainized you. They've demonized you. Being able to walk out into your community and be respected, respected is a big deal. And so when you take that, that away, um, you've, you've got an officer retention problem that we're seeing across the United States mm -hmm. right now. Um, but I tell them that it's cyclical and that it will come back for sure. And I think we've already seen kind of the seeds of uh, that starting to uh, sprout. And I, I kind of see it all across the country. I've known for a while how, how much our community support us. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's easy to get the perception when, when uh, national media just plays this thing all the time. So I just, you know, I tell them, like, I'm like, you know, you're doing something that's bigger than you. You're probably never going to have a career as fulfilling as, as this one, for sure. Mm -hmm. So you can go do a lot of stuff in, in your life. But uh, how many people are you going to save? You know, how many kids are you going to save? And I, I mean, yeah. I mean this when I tell them that. I saw a couple deputies uh, leaving leaving your place and this mm -hmm. is probably about a year ago and I grabbed one of them I said man you should really think about this you should get you're young you should give this mm -hmm. give this six more months see what this looks like you leave this this is going to be the biggest regret of mm -hmm. your life and I know it seems bad but it's always real dark right before the light man mm -hmm. and that's um, you know I just try to preach to them and try to try to go up and tell them that you know this is a this is still a really honorable profession, and uh, we just we went through some stuff. But, you know, don't quit. I noticed that in the larger metropolitan agencies that have the worst turnover, right. that it's almost like the community has to understand what it's like without that support before they go ahead and say, oh, maybe we should go ahead and not take away those officer rights, and, and we want them to be around. But they have to suffer the consequences first before it, it gets yeah. any better. I, you know, if you would have told me how bad it was going to get around here with, with the staffing, um, I just thought we were a little bit more immune because I'll tell you the dynamics are, are different at those bigger departments because, mm -hmm. you know, you have some DAs that are prosecuting police officers for, for shootings and, and yes. st stuff when, when they really shouldn't be. And, you know, it's, uh, some of it's politically motivated and stuff like that, and some of them don't feel like their command staff supports them. They don't empower them to make decisions. Hey, if I make the wrong decision, is, is my chief or is my sheriff or is my command staff going to come back me up? And, you know, we've had officers over here make poor decisions that uh, honestly didn't reflect very well on the department. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, 
you're telling these young police officers that just got trained for six or nine months to come out and be warriors, but hold on, mm -hmm. you have to be a diplomat too. So it's not exactly the easiest thing to balance sometimes. I know the narrative says, hey, we shouldn't be training our officers to be warriors, but I can tell you I've been in some bad situations and I'm glad that I had a warrior mentality to win. Or at least have that potential to be a warrior when the time arises, right. but don't curse the ones who are willing right. to be the sheepdog uh, among the, the flock. Right, and so I'm unwavering on the professionalism that I expect out of my guys. I tell them though, and it's hard, because I, I remember being a young police officer. In fact, I, I learned the meaning of the word terse. I had a sergeant that said, you, you know, you're a little terse with people sometimes. And uh, I told you, this is a work in progress. This is over 17 years. So, you know, it's just grabbing them and telling them how important it is that you have a lot of authority. You have to use it wisely. Mm -hmm. And so you have to go up and you have to provide respect to people. And you know what? If they, if, if they take that respect away... And you have to. You be a warrior. That's all there is to it. You know, these these kids, it's easy to get real black and white with stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, this is what policy says. Well, at the end of the day, most policies that we, you know, if we, we violate a policy, there's something called coaching and counseling. We retrain them. We redirect them. And they're better police officers for it. And they have a better understanding of things. You know, and I tell them, you know, that, that's the reason you have qualified immunity. You know, you're going out, you're, you're interpreting laws, and you're making decisions on whether to take somebody to jail and, and, and potentially there's constitutional implications at play that nobody expects you to be perfect. The Supreme Court justices have, have reassured us time and time again, they don't expect you to be perfect, man. Um, they expect you to act in good faith mm -hmm. and uh, do the right thing. So we have officers all the time, you know, they get, they get caught up in the details and it's like, man, listen, first of all, own your mistakes and, and second of all, learn something from it. That's all you got to do. I've pride myself on trying never to make the same mistake twice, BJ. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I think that that could go a long way for a lot of our guys. So we're working on it. We're, we're trying to trying to do big stuff. So I know that you've spoken a lot about your perspective for leading staff, the new generation of law enforcement. What does your agency have to say in regards to a, a leadership perspective in order to recruit, progress, and retain staff members that are on the front lines for the or speak in a way generally speaking for the organization not just your perspective that we cover but overall what is the consensus for all the invested people who buy in from city council chief the entire chain of command all the way to the new person they they know that there's an issue they know that you know some of it we might have caused sure as, a, as an organization because you know, nobody's perfect and an organization is not perfect um, they know that there's a problem and they're working to address it. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we can, we can always do better, but I'll tell you, you know, we changed our health, health insurance policy this year. Fortunately, we're all paying 5% more, um, but, you know, it makes family plans more accessible to our younger cops. You know, they went from $1,500 a month for a family plan to 600 bucks. And so we know that we're not going to recruit and retain any new cops if they can't afford to work here. Right. And so that, that's a big deal, you know, and I know the council is aware of uh, – I've, I've talked to a few council members um, just, you know, in passing, and they know it's a big deal. They know that, that um, police officers were having a hard time keeping them. They're important. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the department knows they're important. We try to reinforce with the officers. Your time's coming. They know you're important. Um, and, you know, they, they've tried to. They've tried to retain them with, with raises. We, mm -hmm. we got a six-and-a-half, five-and-a-half, four-and-a-half raise. Um, but unfortunately, with inflation and, and the market for police officers, I mean, there's been a market reset. Mm -hmm. So we've, we've got officers that are leaving to go start out at a salary of $56,000, $57,000 just in the Kansas City area. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, that's a significant amount of money. And uh, so you can't just all, you know, um, just basically talk these officers into saying on, on, under goodwill sometimes because, you know, they, there's compelling reasons for them to take a new job. So what it comes down to is the support for those that want to be here. That's right. You're willing to do that. You're dang near anything. That's right. Yep. And, uh, you know, I've told some officers, you know, we've had new recruits, and you know what it's like to have a salty day shift officer that's mm -hmm. been here for 25 years and, and really doesn't, you know, hold back and speaks, speaks their mind. And, you know, I grab them, and, and uh, I've told people or officers at the department, I'm like, listen, it's okay to not have a good day. It's okay to, mm -hmm. to bitch. It's, it's okay to complain. 
but whatever you do, don't scare off these new officers because you're their first impression. Yeah. And so, and at the same time, don't take it home. I'll be happy to listen if someone complain. There's no need to take it home. home. Don't take it home, but don't yeah. don't complain. Don't complain down. Yeah, Com- you can complain across among a peer or complain up, but don't complain exactly. down. Exactly. And you know, I, I told him, I said, you know, I'm, I'm not uh, a difficult guy to get along with, but you and me, we're going to have problems. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might see some discipline over this mm-hmm. because we can't uh, we can't scare these 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 new new guys and gals off. We've, we've got to do what we can to retain them. Um, tell them how important their job is. Pay them more if we can. Give them better benefits. And so, just yeah, just get competitive in nature. And it's you're working for county government. I'm working for city government. There's only so many ways to, to you know split the pie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's going to be a reprioritization of, of how we spend money in, in both city and county government. You know, we're gonna we got to get back to the basics. And what what are the basics? Public safety, roads, stuff, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And, you know, it's got to have them. So hopefully we do. Hopefully we'll make some big gains this year. I think so. What do you see is an effective and safe coping mechanism for those that work downrange? What, I mean, we brought up cigars uh, and, right. and all that and, and that camaraderie. You know, you have the FOP right. is one resource. Yeah, I mean, what other routes do you see as supporting informally those in order to hold the line and retain well employees. i'll tell you the, the first trap that we fall into in law enforcement is you know we can only identify within our own groups and this mm-hmm. is our group and it's tough to uh to let other people into our circles and so what happens you know you get you have all these bad things that you witness shootings murders um sexual assaults so you what happens is you become hyper vigilant mm-hmm. and uh really protective and stuff like that but you know first of all leaders leadership in general all this is possible why why is this possible i can tell you it's through sacrifice of your family um nobody's family knows it better than than my wife and my kids right now i I went from day shift to to midnights and i'll tell you they never bat an eye they support me and so that's that's the only reason that i've i've been able to do anything that i'm doing right now so you know they have to remember the importance of their family because when things go bad, it's going to be your family that's going to be standing there with you. Unfortunately, we get some real eye, eye-opening situations um, where you think your friends will be standing by you and your peers. Sometimes they're not. So, you know, take care of your home stuff. Get your get your home life in order. Communicate. Don't be scared to reach out for help. I mean, they, we for years they stigmatize mental health, mm-hmm. and uh, I've been I've been to the counselor. And I won't tell you that every counselor I've been to has been great. But I'll tell you, I, I met, a, met a counselor one time. He used to be a police officer. He served on our SWAT team. We had a lot in common. And he had a way of, of communicating with me to, to, to really make, make you realize just honestly what your problems are. Because sometimes it's hard to see what's going on with you. Sometimes you got a peer that can look and, and do a, a self-assessment, mm-hmm. you know, that I've been talking about. What, what's wrong with you right now? What are you doing? And you're being hypervigilant. You need to think about this. And so, yeah, I mean, just don't put yourself in this uh, this close, really closed network of people. And, uh, you know, just, just go out and, and take care of your family and, and get help. We deal with some really bad stuff. And sometimes you just need somebody to talk to. And, and I'll tell you another problem is sometimes you don't want to go back and talk about this stuff with your wife. Yeah. You know, so find somebody you can talk to because you got to vent. Well, and I use the tagline, I'm a better dad because I'm a cop, and I'm a better cop because I'm a dad. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because I, I understand the value of life and the well, uh, importance I'll, of safety. We jo- I joke with my wife all the time. I said, you know, I love you. I married you from yesterday. It was 14 years of blissful marriage with my wife. Uh, and uh, I tell her, I, said, I love you, but I don't love you like I love my kids. And I knew just the, is the minute that my kids were born, that's just a different type of love. And I'll tell you. I was a lot better family crimes detective because of it after having kids. And, uh, you know, there's just milestones that, uh, in your life, and you just, you're continuing to grow. Like we talked about earlier, I said, you know, the more experiences you have, the better, better suited you are to make decisions moving forward, better suited for leadership positions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's probably why we don't take 21-year-old recruits out of the academy and put them in leadership positions at the police department yep. or the sheriff's department. You just got to keep growing, man. That's all it is. This shapes our lives. Yeah. This, I mean, it's, yeah. it's who, I mean, it's almost like a vocation at the same time. Not just a job, but it can be if you, if you 
get bit by it, you can. This can be a vocation. This is all you know, and this is what you're destined to do it if is. you let it. And you know, <clears throat> you get some bad times in your career. You start mm -hmm. thinking, "Hey, I could do something different." Mm -hmm. And uh, but I don't encourage people to take on a new profession. I'll tell you, the first thing you got to know that there is life after police work, and uh, it's it's really easy to fall into that trap that this is the only thing I know. <laughs> um, and but there is, I want I want to tell. Any of your listeners that are in law enforcement and leadership today in 2022, pivot, be the new leader. Talk to these, talk to these new recruits. Um, be willing to listen. Be willing to empower them to make decisions and make mistakes, because you are the leader you are today because of the mistakes you made yesterday. I guarantee it. You know, it's, they they need to. I mean, people need to pivot. It's you can't be who your leaders were 15, 20 years ago. It's mm -hmm. not going to work. You can there. You can have some qualities. For sure. But to be malleable, to, to be adaptable just enough. Every day. We adapt every day, BJ. And that's why you're in this job. I mean, obviously, you know, I, we say cops are bad about change. And it's like, well, you come in every day because of change. Mm -hmm. You wanted a job where you weren't going to be doing the same thing every day. But then, then again, they get stuck in the rut of, I don't like change. So. But there are times where I'm so frustrated that the only thing I can do for sanity being a county Mountie is go count cows in the dark. I don't care. I'm going to drive down this road. I'm going to count cows because I need a bit of sanity because I, that's something that I can control. That's, it's within my realm. And when I get done with this road, then I'm going to be good. That's my 10-minute drive driving out to the county. Yeah. My 10 or 15-minute drive is, uh, you know, just decompress mm -hmm. from, and just be alone in your thoughts. Yeah, that's a that's a good way to do it. And some, I live out near a cow farm, mm -hmm. so I know mm -hmm. what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. That's it's one of those Sometimes you got to stop and put them in, BJ. Keep it simple, yeah. Yeah. Not, don't cows, overthink cows, it. Just leave it. Yeah. Cows get out. You got county guys got different problems than city guys. <laughs> we got loose dogs. You got loose moo cows. But it is funny to be able to go ahead and listen how city cops deal with those loose cows. Oh, it is so funny. Like oh, so funny. I don't know if That's you remember. There used to be a song somebody made. Craig Smith got ran over by a bovine. No. Oh yeah. You you don't even have to check into that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they they made a song. He might have fallen back and put a slug up in the air. I don't know. Hey, I want to thank my guests for their insights on leadership. I also want to thank you, the listeners. Don't forget to follow Firing Pin Leadership on social media, which includes Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Keep in mind, a portion of proceeds goes to ConcernsOfPoliceSurvivors.org. Concerns of Police Survivors provides resources to fallen officers, families, and co-workers to rebuild their shattered lives. COPS offers training and assistance to law enforcement agencies nationwide on how to respond to tragic loss of a member of the law enforcement profession. Take care and God bless.